The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit shadygrovepca.org. Good morning. It's good to be with you all again. Uh, it's always a joy to worship with you all here at Shady Grove. Um, I just want to start off by saying thank you for y'all's support and encouragement. Um, it's, it's been a joy to have you all as a, uh, a supporting church, a partner church, and also as individuals supporting and partnering and praying. So I just wanted to say thank you. Our ministry can't happen without um, the church. We're sent by the church. We're supported by the church, and we are all about the church. And so I just want to say thank you. And again, uh, Chris Reed is here uh, with, with me, and he just moved here uh, just, I, I guess, about a month ago. And so he's settled in, and he's uh, excited and ready to get on campus. So he um, is in the process of ordination, and upon ordination, he'll officially be assistant campus minister. And so he's, he's been studying for ordination. He's been gearing up uh, to get on campus, been hanging out with students. And, man, he's, he, he's really going to add to our ministry and is going to bless a lot of students and is really going to reach a lot of students for the gospel. And so if, if you want to connect with him and get to know him, he'll, he'll be around. And also he'll have a newsletter sign-up list. If you want to just keep up with what's going on behind the scenes, get the, get the, uh, the, the behind-the-scenes view. Uh, also, please uh, sign up for, for his newsletter. Um, but man, I'm excited to be with you all. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And we're going to start at chapter 9, verse 30. Verse 30. So Mark is a gospel account, meaning it is a narrative about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so in this section, Jesus is showing his disciples what it means to live according to the cross, to embrace a mission that is shaped by the cross. And in our time this morning, we will see that Christ invites us to be great, by becoming small. That's it. That's the whole sermon. Christ invites us to be great by becoming small. So again, turn with me to Mark chapter 9, verse 30. And uh, I'll read God's word. I'll pray for help, and then we will dive in. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And when they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. 
But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being able to stand before your people and being able to open up your word and to be your representative. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill me, you would soak me with power so that I might serve Jesus being an unworthy servant. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give me conviction and boldness and power and meekness and weakness. Lord, I pray that you would give me love and compassion and humility, that you would make me small. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move and lead your people, that you would open their hearts that they might be able to receive your word. Lord, I pray that they would not only believe it, but they would love it. They would cherish it. It would be sweet like honey. Lord, it would be more valuable than rubies and diamonds and gold. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just be good hearers of your word. Lord, I pray we would be good doers of your word. Lord, I ask that you would transform us. Lord, would you change our lives right here, right now? And I pray that as we leave this place, we would be different. That this wouldn't just be an exercise or something we just do because we, we, we feel like we should. Lord, I pray that we would actually put this into practice by the power of your spirit. Lord, we love you and, you ask all, and we ask all these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So I'm um, tagging this text this morning. Our title is Stand, Serve, and be small. Stand, serve, and be small. So I recently was interviewing Professor K.A. Ellis. She's the director of the Edmiston Center for the Study of the Bible and Ethnicity at RTS Atlanta. And she studies theological ethics and world Christianity, and she works really closely with Christians on the margin, Christians who are serving under persecution or are serving on the margins of society. And so she was telling me about a powerful opportunity that she had. 
she was serving Christians by facilitating a handwritten letter of encouragement from one group of pastors in a closed country uh, to another church in another country thousands of miles away. And so in order to do this, she had to um, take this letter and, and, and translate it uh, through, I think, a couple different languages and, and, and get it delivered. And uh, reflecting on this opportunity, she said this, I'm just the middle man standing in the middle of all these people doing really amazing things. All I have to do is just stand here and be small. Y'all, isn't that such a great motto for life and for ministry? Isn't that such a great prayer? It's like, man, if I could just stand here and be small, God, and, and, and you be great. The beginning of every great ministry is a small person. But don't we often embrace the opposite posture in our ministries? Don't we say, Lord, I will only stand here if I can be great and big and if everyone can see me and if I can be cool and popular and if I can post it on Instagram, right? We will only stand and serve God if we can be around people who are important, if we can be important or be seen as important, or if we can get all the credit. We will only stand if we can be big. And this is exactly the kind of mentality our disciples embraced, or Jesus, not our Jesus disciples embraced. Uh, they wanted to be big. They wanted to be great. And Jesus corrects them. Jesus invites them to be great, but he invites them to be great in a different way than they anticipated. And so, again, our main point for today is Jesus invites you to be great. Jesus invites you to be great, but in a way that you likely don't anticipate. He invites us to be great by being small. And so I just want to look at four quick ways that uh, Jesus invites us to be small. So first, and we see this in verses 33 through 37, Jesus invites us to be small. He, uh, he invites us to be great by embracing the small. Jesus invites us to be great by embracing the small. And so our passage is actually a part of a larger section of Mark's gospel account. It starts in chapter 8, verse 22, and it ends in chapter 10, verse 52. And basically during this time, Jesus is kind of giving his disciples three rounds of teachings on what it means to suffer and what it means for their lives to be shaped by the cross. And so Jesus and his disciples, they're traveling throughout Galilee, which is kind of the region where they did a lot of their ministry. And he was kind of giving them the second round of teaching about what would happen. He says, hey guys, I'm going to die, I'm going to be captured, and I'm going to rise again. And his disciples are confused because they think Jesus is a conquering king. He is, but they think of it in a different way. They're like, wait, kings don't get captured. If you get, if you get captured, that means you're lost. <laughs> and so the, Jesus is trying to let them know, no, I'm a different kind of king. And so as they're traveling, it's funny, the, the, Mark's gospel account is actually really funny. I think all the gospel writers have senses of humor. Uh, as they were traveling, Jesus noticed that the disciples were arguing amongst themselves, and there was division. And so when they got to their destination, Capernaum was kind of like their ministry home base. Uh, they got in the house, and Jesus asked them what they were talking about. And so the disciples were silent. They were either embarrassed or they were scared uh, to admit what they were arguing about. Uh, but Jesus knew exactly what they were arguing about. Mark tells us in verses 33 through 34 uh, that while Jesus was teaching them about suffering, the disciples were arguing about who is the greatest. Now, I don't have an idea about what the measuring system was or the rubric was during that day among the disciples for who was the greatest. 
maybe um, it was like, you know, I've done the most healings. You know, I, 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 healed, I healed the worst diseases. Or maybe someone was like, you know what, I've, I've talked to the biggest crowds. Or maybe someone's like, man, I've done more exorcisms than you. I'm the greatest. I'm actually the one who, who's the leader of the disciples. And whatever it was, they were obsessed with their own status and their own glory and their own self-exaltation. So Jesus sits down in the house to reinforce what he was trying to drive home while they were on the road. And he begins by saying, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. How many of, all, how many of you all, uh, when, when, when you were little, you said, I want to grow up to be last of all and servant of all? <laughs> The way to become great is to become small. The greatest leader among them was the greatest servant among them. And then Jesus totally revamped their measurement system in determining greatness. He he takes their measuring system and balls it up and throws it away by taking a child. He calls a child to himself and literally embraces this small person, this child. This is powerful. He's giving them a live illustration of what the disciples are to do. The apostles, uh, uh, the, the disciples were, the 12 disciples were also the apostles, which were kind of like the foundational leaders of the church. The apostles were to embrace the small. And so like the parables, this is meant to impact us, uh, not necessarily to be dissected, but let's look at a few things. Why a child? Um, first and foremost, a child was the most humble and lowly person in society. It would have actually been scandalous for Jesus to take a child in his arms in the midst of the, the company of the apostles. It would have kind of been a, had, had a little bit of a shock value. And then what does it mean to receive someone in Jesus' name? Jesus says that you, you must receive this child in my name. To do something in the name of someone is to represent that person. And so Jesus is saying, in order to understand me, you must understand that I can use even the most unimportant the most small and lowly of society, to be my representatives. Jesus embraced the smallest as worthy of association with the greatest. And Jesus shows this by embracing the child in his arms. And also, we we also have to notice the language that Jesus uses here in this passage. He he says this, uh, um, let's, let's, let's see here. He says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. This is the same language Jesus used when he commissioned the apostles in Matthew chapter 10, verse 40. He told the apostles, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Jesus is using the same language with the child as he uses with the apostles, and he's artfully challenging the apostles' conception of what it means to be great. He's saying, in order to be great apostles, you must be childlike apostles. In order to be great, you must become like this child. To be an apostle is to be a childlike representative of Jesus. But the, but the uh, apostles were exactly the kind of people who would not have embraced children, and we know this, like I said, remember, Mark is hilarious. All the gospel writers are hilarious. Literally, like, if you flip the page, you will find this story that I'm about to tell you. People are trying to bring children to Jesus, and the apostles rebuke the people for trying to bring children to Jesus. It's like, didn't y'all learn the lesson in chapter 9, y'all? <laughs> this happened in chapter 10. Uh, and so the disciples are the kind of people who fundamentally do not understand that Jesus is about embracing the small. 
When will they ever learn? And so family, this passage ought to shape the mission of the church. It ought to shape our life together as the church. We must ask the question, in our community and city, what does it look like to serve Jesus as those who embrace the small, as those who embrace the lowest and the most humble in society, like children? What does it look like for our church to embrace this persona ourselves? What does it look like for us to be lowly and unimportant and humble in our mission? The only thing we are concerned about is being the least and the last. But next, Christ invites us to be great by uniting with the small. Christ invites us to be great by uniting with the small. And we see this in verses 38 through 42. So right after Jesus kind of explains to the disciples about being small, I don't know why John does this, but John speaks up and he's basically telling Jesus, hey, we basically have already done what you just told us not to do. He says, hey, we saw someone casting out demons and we tried to stop him because he wasn't a part of our clique. He wasn't a part of our crew. And it makes sense that they would do this because the disciples were obsessed with being great. And you know what comes with being obsessed with being great? A competitive spirit. In, our, in a, kind of our culture, we, we, we love com, uh, competition and being competitive. We see this as a virtue. But really, Christ invites us to watch out for this. That along with being competitive comes with an obsession of being great. And this is comical because literally 20 verses earlier, Mark tells us about a situation where the disciples tried to cast out a demon while Jesus was away, and they failed. So here you have the great apostles who failed at casting out a demon. And then here we see them admitting that they tried to stop somebody else who was successful at casting out a demon. The disciples thought this, the only way God should work is through us, and if not through us, then through no one. Jesus here encourages the apostles to celebrate people who have united with Jesus. And even the apostles even though they're not a part of their crew, because even if these people aren't in Jesus' traveling company, they are still about Jesus' mission. Jesus says he will reward even the smallest act done in the name of Jesus, like giving someone a cup of water. There's nothing too small that Jesus doesn't see. And is this encouraging for us, y'all? Maybe in, 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 in your life you feel like, man, what I have to offer is small and little. And Jesus is like, even if it is small and little, I see it. Even if you have one hour a week to serve in, in, in that ministry or to do this thing, Jesus sees it and he rewards it and he's pleased with it. He delights in it. And what the apostles are really doing is they were causing little ones to stumble by trying to stop this person. And Christ gives them a severe warning. This isn't teddy bear security blanket Jesus. This is, this is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Jesus. It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. That's a hard word. A millstone was a big circular stone that was used by donkeys to grind grain uh, uh, back then. And, and to have the stone wrapped around your neck and then to be thrown into the sea would have been a gruesome drowning with no hope of recovery, no hope of salvation uh, by, by someone. And Christ is saying this kind of judgment belongs to people who refuse to unite with his small ones, with his little ones. And family, we have to ask the question, could it be possible that we're more like the disciples than we realize? 
In what ways do we have a competitive spirit with those people around us? We, we might be jealous of their ministry or their gifting or the things that God has given them. In what ways do we have a competitive spirit with churches and ministries that we see as lesser than us? In what ways are we refuting, re- refusing to unite with the small and to celebrate their ministries? Are we taking seriously Jesus' warning to those who hinder the kingdom ministry of others? But next, Christ invites us to be great by sacrificing for the small. Christ invites us to be great by sacrificing for the small. And so the next several verses, Jesus kind of continues. He, he begins to talk about the things in life that, uh, 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 he, he begins to talk about the things in the disciples' life that prevents them from being small. So, you know, like, if, if you actually read this, you would feel like this is all disjointed, but it actually kind of flows into each other. So he, he's talking about being the least, and then he starts talking about the disciples trying to hinder the small ones, and then he starts trying to advise them how they can get rid of the things in their lives that, 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 that are preventing them from uniting with the small. They must get rid of anything in their lives that, that, that cause them to despise one of these little ones, to borrow Matthew's words in his gospel account, even if it means becoming physically crippled, physically lame, or partially blind. And so though Jesus is using hyperbole, he, he's exaggerating a little bit here, um, but we shouldn't allow these words to escape us. They ought to impact us deeply. What Jesus is saying here is that in order to be small, it requires deep, deep sacrifice. The sacrifice that many of us are actually not willing to do in and of ourselves. Jesus presents two paths to the disciples. They can either sacrifice for the sake of the small and receive life in the kingdom or they can refuse to sacrifice for the sake of the small and receive fiery judgment. This is why throughout this passage, Christ mentions three times he mentions hell, and three times he mentions eternal life in the kingdom. He's saying, you, you, he, he, he holds out the red and, 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 and blue pill and offers the disciples two paths. And so family, this is a hard word, isn't it? This is a hard word. Mission requires sacrifice. We must ask ourselves, what are the things in my life that I refuse to sacrifice in order to associate with the small? What are the things that I refuse to sacrifice in order to become small for Jesus? It could be a way of thinking. It could be a friendship. It could be a certain possession that we have that that we love. It could be a certain job or it could be a social club. Whatever causes me to stumble in becoming small for Christ's mission, Christ invites me to cut it off. And lastly, Christ invites us to be great by giving it all. Christ invites us to be great by giving it all. And we see this in verses 49 through 50. So, y'all, the last two verses in our passage are some of the hardest to interpret. So I spent a lot of time staring at these verses and trying to figure out what they were saying. It says this, check this out. Christ says, for everyone will be salted with fire. He's like, wait, hold up, Jesus. We were just talking about, you know, cutting off limbs and being small and children. Now we're talking about salt and fire. What's going on? He says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is in verse 49. So this is hard to interpret on multiple levels. 
One, at the level of Greek grammar and manuscript tradition. And then secondly, at the level of how the imagery actually connects with the previous images that Christ was using. Um, so it's like, Jesus, what are, you, what are you actually saying here? And then even if everything made sense, it's like, what are you actually saying here? I believe what's happening here is Jesus is switching from one location in Jerusalem to another. So in the places in your Bible where it says hell, uh, the word hell, you know, is not actually, the, the, your, your English Bible say hell because as kind of like people who are descended from Europe, you know, America, we're like familiar with the concept of hell. But back then in, the, in, in, the, um, in Jesus' time, in his culture, they had a very like, um, very much attached, like very much uh, concrete. So their conception of what we would call hell was an actual place outside of Jerusalem. It, 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 it was a valley. Um, it was a, the valley of the sons of Himnon. And in this place, there's a bunch of trash and it was a, 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 a burning heap of trash. It was kind of, it's almost like their, their, um, their, their dump. And this is why he says this is a place where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. He has an actual literal place in mind. It's called Gehenna. This was a valley outside of Jerusalem. And then I think he's, when he starts talking about salt, he's going from outside of Jerusalem to inside of Jerusalem to the temple altar. So at the temple altar... They would oftentimes, in the Old Testament, when they would offer sacrifices to God, they would season it. Isn't that cool? Did, did y'all know that? That they would season the sacrifices for God? Uh, they, they would throw salt on it as they were throwing it into the fire. So Christ is basically saying there is no way as a person to escape fire. You either face a fire that separates you from God or a fire that offers you up to God as a pleasing sacrifice. A fire that brings down the great, or a fire that lifts up the small. Just like salt was used to prepare sacrifices on the altar in the Old Testament era, the disciples are to embrace smallness in preparation to give their lives for Jesus as a pleasing aroma. And so in verse 50, he basically asks a rhetorical question. He's basically saying this. How can seasoning be seasoned when it has lost its seasoning, right? How, like, how, how can seasoning be, be, be made tasty again? And the answer is, there's no way. Once seasoning has lost its seasoning, you just got to throw it away. It's just bad. You, you can't restore its flavor. How can you salt salt, right? He's telling the disciples, salt cannot be anything other than salt. And in the same way, the disciples cannot be anything other than small. To have a great disciple is an oxymoron. It's a paradox. It's like having a trunk wide open or a, a trunk wide shut. It's like saying a great disciple. Disciples cannot be anything other than small. And so family, Christ is inviting us to adopt a, a missionary servant-hearted mindset that embraces the small. A mindset is a, a missionary mindset is a small mindset, one that is willing to embrace the small, to unite with the small, to sacrifice for the small, and to give it all. And Christ invites us to, to do this when we are tempted to only engage in the mission of God when it means serving those that we deem as great, when it means uh, that we are tempted to serve alongside those who think we will reward us, or when it means we are tempted to serve only when it is comfortable or when it is convenient. 
when we are tempted to serve only when it means you get to keep your life as it now stands. In our own city and across the seas. And why? Because this small missionary mindset leads to peace within the church. The last thing that Christ told his disciples in this passage, he says, be at peace with one another. Have salt within yourselves and be at peace with, with, with one another. So what does peace have to do with having salt in yourselves? You see, the, the disciples were divided. They were not at peace because they wanted to be great. A church that, that full of people who want to be great is a divided church. It's a church that is crumbling uh, 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 into itself. Churches that embrace smallness are powerfully united for the glory of Christ. And if they are powerfully united, they are able to actually accomplish things for the glory of Christ. And so I urge us to continue to find ways to be prayerful and generous and and active in service, particularly in areas and places or in types of service that are overlooked because they aren't big and grand and flashy. Maybe reach out to someone who you know who's doing uh, ministry work that requires them to be small and join them, support them, encourage them, and learn from them. And so some of y'all might be thinking, man, this is a hard word. This is, over, this, this is overwhelming, isn't it? Being small. It's like, I don't know how to do that. I don't, I, I, I don't know how to do that. And even if I did know, I can't do that. Some of us might be thinking, I don't want to do that. This all sounds really scary, and it sounds impossible, right? And I agree. <laughs> I'm with y'all. But I think it is beautiful that Christ in this, in this area doesn't call us to something he hasn't already done himself. Christ knows what it is like to stand and serve God and be small. You see, with us, it is impossible But with God, all things are possible. Christ himself is with us. You see, Christ, though equal with God the Father in power and glory, became small by becoming a human. Christ, though the King of kings and Lord of lords, became small by rejecting the royal city and ministering to everyday folk in northern Palestine. You see, Christ, though the creator of the world, became small by pursuing in love a world that did not recognize him. You see, Christ, though the embodiment of cleanliness and purity, became small by touching the diseased and the lepers to heal them. You see, Christ, though righteous in every way, became small by eating with the morally scandalous of his day. You see, Christ, though the king of the Jews, became small by conversing with the despised Samaritans and the untouchable Gentiles. You see, Christ, though the Lord of heaven's armies, became small by allowing an armed mob to capture him for you and I. You see, Christ, though the judge of all the earth, became small by submitting himself to unjust court proceedings of unjust judges. You see, Christ, though clothed in the righteousness of God, became small by allowing his enemies to dress him in a crown of thorns and robes of mockery. You see, Christ, though worthy of all honor, became small by allowing his enemies to shamefully hang him naked on a piece of wood. Christ, though the giver of the highest life, became small by dying the lowest death of a slave. And y'all, Christ became small. He did all of this for us. Christ did all of this for you because he loves you. 
Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, our selfish obsessions with being great deserve the millstone of drowning in the eternal fires of Gehenna. But Christ himself drowned in the wrath of God and faced the fires of God's fury in your place so that you can have eternal life and an entrance into his kingdom. The great one became small so that us great ones might have the power to become small. Christ gives you his pardon and his power so that you can actually embrace smallness in your life. You see, with man it is impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible. We can only become small and give it all for Christ when we realize that Christ became small and gave it all for us. Family, Christ invites you to become great by being small. Great by embracing the small, great by uniting with the small, great by sacrificing for the small, and great by giving it all. Family, will you stand, serve, and be small? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, where we can dig into your word and see what it is that you have to say to us. Lord, I admit that it is a hard word. You invite us to be small like a child, and Lord, we just don't know how to do that in and of ourselves. Lord, our culture and everything around us invites us to be great, to practice selfish ambition, to think highly, too highly of ourselves. And Lord, you, you are so countercultural. You invite us to be least and last and small. And so, Lord, I pray that as we embrace the same persona that, that you have yourself, that, Lord, this difference would be attractive to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to the people we serve in our families, and that people would see you in us. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit so that we might do this. Lord, I pray that you would give us imaginations and the creativity and the time and the energy to be able to actually envision what does it look like to live this out in my different spheres of influence and relationships. Lord, you were small, and by rising from the dead, you reminded us the, 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 the end game the trajectory of your little ones, you will exalt us. We will be resurrected with you, acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment, and we will reign with you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we embrace smallness, as we embrace service and sacrifice and submission to you, that like you did, we will look forward to the day of our glorification. Lord, we love you. Amen.